This is the right direction where we talk to professional storytellers and writers and we discuss their craft and how they sell it. I'm your host, AG McDonald, and let's get started with the show. Okay, we are here today with Rick Hoskin, who has quite the list of achievements. Um, He has worked in graphic novels and comics for Star Wars, Superman, Doctor Who, Shrek. Uh, I believe you've got a Spider-Man comic coming up. You've worked with titans of their genre with Dean Koontz, Brandon Sanderson, um, Patricia Briggs. You've worked with so many different people. You're just kind of amazing. Uh, and now, <laughs> Thanks ever so much. <laughs> and now you have a new book out called um, Bystander 27, which I, do. I have read and it is also pretty awesome too. Um, oh, yeah. So would you like to tell us a little bit more just about yourself? Uh, about me, well, I'm, you may tell from the accent, I'm uh, British. I was born in London. Uh, this is going to be a very slow story if I begin with my birth, so I'll, I'll move forward a bit. I've been writing full time for about 15 years. Um, before that, I was doing part time, came up through fanzines, really. And uh, yeah, I just always enjoyed writing. I'm really a comic book writer, but somehow I ended up writing about 30 novels and video games and animation scripts for uh, BBC's, the BBC's website and various other things. So I'm possibly a jack of all trades now. Yeah, um, no, and I, I love that. I that's, think, sorry, you go. That's what I was going to say. I think, I think the uh, Bystander 27 book is probably really just a sign of all those things that I love that really my heart's still somewhere in comics no matter what else I do yeah well because I was going to say that I feel like it comes across because you've got that whole um comic twist to it because it's kind of it's almost like set up as that classic kind of revenge fantasy story um but there's that there's that comic book twist. And so I, f- I feel like there's, there's a lifetime of comic book knowledge embedded within that story. So I guess for those people who haven't heard of the book before, could you give us a breakdown of the plot? Right. Um, Bystander 27 is, uh, it's the story of uh, a modern day world of superheroes basically so it's New York City it's the New York City you'd know from Marvel comics or the Marvel films or similarly the DC comics DC films where you've got superheroes flying about and punching people through walls and all of those kind of things and Bystander 27 is taken from the point of view of a bystander He's just an ordinary guy, one of those guys who's just in the crowd watching these incredible things happen. And in the opening chapter, as he's watching this uh, fight play out between two costumed characters, uh, Captain Light and the Jade Shade, he, unfortunately, he's meant to be meeting his wife and uh, she's killed during the conflict just by accident. Um, And in his grief, he, uh, our um, character starts to look into his world. He doesn't go out looking for revenge. He looks for something else because he can't understand why all these superhero battles are happening. And he's convinced there's more to it. And he gets very deep into this world, um, how, how things are basically functioning 
why people are doing what they do and what's really behind it so yeah. that's the story it's the story of a superhero universe from the point of view of an ordinary guy really and i think i think it's really interesting <clears throat> on two points because i always found that a somewhat unbelievable part of the comic book world that um you know they go around destroying everything and everyone has nothing but adoration for them and you're kind of like I feel like someone's going to be pissed at them. Like that's yeah. <laughs> so. So this kind stop, of answers stop that. Invite, stop inviting Galactus to our world. Yeah, that's right. And then, but then I think the other thing that happens too is outside of that comic book thing, it sets up, you know, with the death of a loved one, it sets up that revenge fantasy premise in the beginning, mm. but then it kind of shifts into a mystery as well yeah. so you're kind of straddling multiple genres you're kind of straddling the comic book sort of genre you're kind of dealing with mystery and you're dealing with the the revenge fantasy so how was that to to kind of like balance that was um well i came at it really very much although it's a it's it's a superhero novel but i came at it very much as that kind of um philip k dick science fiction kind of way of doing things where it was always from the point of view of a normal guy and what he's seeing isn't the whole picture and he has to unwrap that and so that's really where it was coming from um yeah and balancing it i have no idea i wish i knew <laughs> i wish you, i knew you just were innately things. good at balancing it so i I'm just <laughs> i i just um i do so much by instinct it, it when other writers come to me and say how do you do this it's like i have no idea i don't like, i don't know i just do it <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so you have worked in so many different um mediums which one would you say is the easiest to get into <laughs> do you mean to get into like uh, as yeah, what, what I say as getting into, because I guess every industry in creativity is is hard to get into. I guess what I'm saying yeah. more so is which comes easier for you out of, you know, video games, comics, novels, like which one comes easiest to you? That's a great question. They're all, they're all different. Um, I began with comics and that really was, was where my first love was. Um, but I do find writing books very easy, um, which probably sounds terribly arrogant. I shouldn't have said that out loud. There you go. That's your first edit. You can cut that. Um, <laughs> no, I do, I, I do find writing books. Um, I just kind of go into a zone and I've, I've described this to other people as I find it's like dreaming. You, you kind of, you're not quite conscious, but you're involved in it. And that's when it just flows and it does its own thing. Whereas with something like comics, you have to stop start all the time because you're thinking about how the visuals are going to work. And oh, okay. comics, are all, comics are always moments in time. And it, so much of the action in comics is between the panels because that's where all the movement is. That's all the bits you don't see. That's, that's what's really going on. And you have to juggle all of that. And I guess uh, the other part of that would be that um, when typically a, a comic is being made it's made with multiple people like you've got the artist yeah. then you've got a writer and then you know you've got multiple people working on it at once and i guess that could add complications and make it more difficult 
they are very different things because with comics and, and other stuff, video games and so on, it's collaboration. And that's great. Collaboration is fun because it makes you up your game a lot of the time. And it means you're getting feedback all the way along and you're seeing how things work and you develop stuff. Whereas with books, it's kind of you and a blank page or a blank screen these days, you know, and you're just you're just trying to see what's in your head and get it out there and find out what happens and you don't get any feedback you know that I wrote many books under a pen name without ever really dealing with anyone other than an editor who would give me a deadline and uh, they, they saw a plot at the start and they accepted the book at the end and that was really as much as we discussed the only other discussion would be about what the cover art might be these days for Bystander 27 I, I work with an agent but I worked with them after I'd written it. So they, they just read it and they went, yep, I like this book. And uh, so there, there's never really any feedback. You're just on your own for a lot of the time. And it's, you have to be confident and you have to be a little bit, um, I suppose you have to have a bit more self-motivation when it, when it comes to doing that, rather than having an editor and an artist who are asking questions all the time and chasing you up about stuff. And yeah, well, I guess that's that's the thing with with collaboration, isn't it? That with collaboration, um, it does make some things difficult, but it also it also gives you accountability. That you're like, okay, well, everyone's waiting on me. Like, I've got to get this done. Whereas when you're kind of working for yourself, it's you've you've got to have that motivation because you can just turn around and be like, oh well, it's just me. Like, I I can wait till next week to start that, or like you know, you can always put it off. <laughs> there's there's always something terrible to watch on television if you look hard enough. There really there? is. Well, no, you don't have to look hard for terrible TV. <laughs> <laughs> there's always something terrible on. <laughs> um, um, so yeah. you go. No, no, no. Oh, so what I was going to say is one thing that fascinates me that I'd like to talk to you about is writing for video games because I feel like that would be a, a different beast entirely and I, I'm fascinated by the idea of being a writer for a video game um, but I know nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> You're presuming that I know something about it. I, uh, I, I stepped into it almost by accident because I'd done a comic book which was designed to help launch a video game so the boss of the company knew me through that and knew my writing through that and he was setting up a new game and he said oh, well, i'm just i'm looking for somebody to do some dialogue for it um and he came to me and i helped kind of flesh out he had the storyline in mind and i helped flesh that out um but really what i was doing was i was bringing comic book sensibilities uh which he hadn't really thought about so i said things like this was a game it's a game called game of cons which is a sequel to something called game of sultans which i think is quite controversial i don't know <laughs> um but uh and it's played on a mobile so you, so you play it on your phone and i said to him well what you really want to do is keep the dialogue very brief and that's how we do it in comics you're looking at perhaps 20 25 words per speech balloon in comics and if you bring that sensibility there, you start to create rhythms of dialogue and things like that. And he really liked that I came to him with those, those ideas. And also that I was fast. <laughs> so and, uh, I ended up sort of uh, being, uh, we loosely say, head writer on it for a little while. Because I sort of knew what I was doing and uh, I could edit other people quite quickly. Um, but quite how I got into it is, is purely 
as with a lot of these things, it's who you know, and it's, it's making a good professional impression on somebody who remembers you two years later. That, that's often the way that these things happen. Yeah, well, actually, it's interesting that you say that because a previous episode we'd had, uh, I was talking to another author, um, Sarah Epstein, and, and she was talking about how, you know, there, there's all these different steps that people say you have to do this and you have to do this to become a writer or to become an author. But really, she jumped through all the traditional hoops and it did nothing for her. And yet, yeah. um, she'd happened to put up like, I think it was a, a premise or something for her book on her website and the publisher found her and and yeah. i guess that's the thing that like it, it it can happen at any time in any different way so and and that like yeah you didn't actively seek out to go and find a, a video game writing job but it, it found you yeah exactly it's um and and how you get there is um it's often very strange because i i did a I did a tech story for the X-Men when I was 19, because I was very young. Um, and then I didn't really do anything for a long time. I was just running my own comic, you know, it was photocopied for a few dozen readers and just holding down a proper job. Um, and I actually got a chance to write for uh, a comic for Disney in the UK. And the way I got the job was I showed them my own comic, which was just supernatural horror adventure. And the editor on there, or the assistant editor on the magazine, looked, looked at this and went, yeah, we're launching a Disney comic. And she just loved what I was doing. It's like all this sort of like strange, horrific stuff. And she's like, yeah, you'd really suit Disney. You work well but, with Disney. You know, it, <laughs> and and she, she kind of thought she could see from that that I could write comics. And really nobody involved in that. It was a very new group. And nobody really knew how to do that part of it but they could see oh, I knew how to structure comics. They sort of look past the subject matter. So it is often, you know, it's, it's the strangest thing you do that gets you those jobs sometimes. Well, and we see that probably even more so now than ever before, because with the, you know, invention of social media, like that many people put their artwork on Instagram and stuff like that. And then before you know it, they're being picked up by these big companies to to illustrate books or to, you know, work on big animations or something like that like opportunities are probably more now than they ever have been and and they're coming from different places it's it's true although i I find that very weird because i'm i'm one of those strange people who's not on social media i think i might be the only one left now i'm barely on it like i have them (laughs) but i I don't really use them as much as i should (laughs) i'm just gonna say barely still counts you see yeah, well, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, well, I guess talking about animation, like that's something that is a huge passion of mine. I mean, as is writing and, and video games and everything else. But uh, basically everything you've done is a huge passion of mine. <laughs> um, but when it comes to animation, how does that work? Because when you go to edits and stuff like that, you it'd have to be relatively set in stone, wouldn't it? Because you can't like once the animation starts it's a very costly um, process to change it because you'd have to physically go back and change the animation to suit the you know changing in dialogue and stuff like that um with those kind of things i mean i've I've been involved in fairly limited animation stuff um but with those things to be honest with you the writer does their bit and they get to the point where everybody's happy with it the producers are happy with it and then that's kind of the end of your role you don't often hear very much about it after that you just 
you just get paid and, and move on to the next thing. Um, so any changes that are made after that are usually made at sort of by producers rather than it doesn't doesn't often come back to writers again in my experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess that's the thing. And and unless you were working on some mega ultra high budget, you know, Disney animation or something, they're not going to come back for rewrites because it's a very no, costly I, process. Well, I think also it's the same as films, isn't it? Whenever you hear about films being made, there's there may be a script there, but on the day, the actors come up with something different and they get into their character and the, and the script changes. The, the guy who, who did the writing the script might not recognise all of it by the time it's, it's hit, uh, hit the screen, you know. And, and I found that I've done some audio script writing and when it comes to the actors on the day, they do change lines. And, it, you know, all of these things, like going back to comics, it's a collaboration and, and you hope that what comes out of that collaboration is the best possible thing. I always say with these things, more than nine times out of 10, people make me look better than I, than I really am, I'm sure, because they work so hard to really nail the lines or really nail the image or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so I guess going back to the comic side of things, so you've done a lot of comics that are based on you know, big intellectual properties. Like, as I said, there's Shrek and Doctor Who and Star Wars and all of these different things. How did you initially get into that? Um, I, I just jumped from doing Disney comic stuff into Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan Adventures comic. Yeah. And then from there, somebody approached me and asked if I would help develop a Spider-Man title aimed at kind of preschoolers um which was interesting because all spider-man and dr octopus were like best friends in it and they'd sort of go in the playground so that was kind of strange <laughs> um but very good fun uh and i sort of got a bit of a reputation as doing licensed um characters really um and one, once you're sort of known for that you it opens doors yeah so I, I got into uh, another disney i've done so much disney i think i've this, this is very not uh, the, the um, author who wrote Bystander 27 here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm also the guy who, who, as well as that, has written, you know, I don't know, 190, 200 stories for Disney Princess and, um, I don't know, about four or 500 for other Disney properties. It's, it's a very um, eclectic bibliography. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you're, when you're a writer, when you're a freelance writer, you, you take the work that's around and it keeps you fresh as well. You know, you can write post-apocalypse in the morning and write Snow White in the afternoon and it keeps you on your toes. Because keep keep you the light stuff till, till the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, whenever I'm awake is usually the time it gets done. But um, it, having different stuff keeps, keeps you motivated as well. Yeah. Um, well, I guess when working on, on that stuff, because obviously, as you say, it's very different to what you would traditionally come up with in your own mind. Uh, mm. When working on that other stuff, do they set the guidelines or, or is it, is it very rigid in, in what you're allowed to do or? Um, it's usually pretty open. It just depends on the property. Um, you know, when I went into Star Wars, I knew Star Wars so well, that was kind of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to say easy because that, that sounds a bit arrogant, but it was certainly, 
I was in I was in territory where I, I knew what I was doing. But you so, are no, giving... I mean, I, I totally understand what you, you were saying there because there's kind of a running joke that I can't go a single episode on this podcast without talking about Star Wars. So okay. I totally get how you can just slide into it and then know exactly yeah. every single facet of the universe. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the very... I did, did read a review of my very early stories where somebody said, this guy's obviously been using the holocron carefully to know all the lore. And I thought, no, I've just seen the films and read a lot of fiction (laughs) (laughs) but you know you've got things like that and if you're given that opportunity to do the hand solo story you you've kind you know what he's going to say that voice is in your head the character is so so clearly defined in the films but other stuff if you're coming to shrek or if you're coming to a disney princess story you're given uh Perhaps not not stories, but you're usually given guidelines, and a lot of it you just pick up. You pick up what they would want and how a particular licensor wants to handle a property, and you work within that. But I mean, my when I worked on Princess, I was told your stories are really different to any other writer. <laughs> I said it's probably because I tend to write horror stories but dress them up as kind of romance instead. But the idea of magic always works. And that, that's how those things kind of, there's still those bits that, that fit together and make it work, you know? Yeah. So obviously, you know, you have that natural talent to, to make the horrific into magical and, and rebranded as Disney princesses. Mm. Um, <laughs> but when you are offered something like that, do you do research behind that to really kind of nail those those characters or do you just get a, a sort of a general sense of what they um, want from the research, from what the yeah you go yeah the, the research i'll do i'll go and see the films or you know if the, if the film is old i'll get a copy of it in some format um but sometimes you're sent more than that sometimes you're sent a whole series bible if you're starting on a property that's brand new you'll be sent so much information about it but you zero in and you find the voice that works for it yeah well because i find that a really interesting concept because for me any writing i've ever done has just been what i wanted to do but then it's an interesting idea of writing this story based on like a character or an outline that that has been given to you by someone else. And I know that that's how a lot of writers make their money now. I I know that a lot of agents will say, we've got this story. Can you write it for us? Um, So I know that that's how a lot of authors work, but I find that really interesting because that's just not how I work. Like to me, it's got to, and I know that when it's your job, you've got to make it work, but it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a foreign concept because it's like, there's so much freedom when it's your own story. Of course, I think um, I, I've been very fortunate that most things I've worked on, they've kind of given, given me the property and said, what have you got? And they'll, they'll, you'll pitch a few ideas and they'll trust you to go with something. They can see what works. But sometimes it can go horribly wrong. Sometimes they will misread or misunderstand. Um, but I have had a few occasions where I've been sort of told this is the parameters and the parameters, or these are the parameters, and the parameters are very limited and you're a bit like, what do I do with this? Those are sometimes the jobs that you just choose to walk away from. <laughs> it's, it depends. It depends how busy you are, I think. Um, 
but no, I, I think whatever you write, although you might be writing for Shrek or for um, Star Wars or for Superman or whatever, and it's great and they're properties you might love, but whatever you write, you've still got to love what you're writing because once it becomes a chore, I think it becomes a chore for the readers or uh, listeners or viewers or whatever, whatever medium you're working within. So you've, you've got to have that passion for what you're doing in the moment, even if you're not especially passionate about a particular property. Oh, and I um, absolutely agree with that because when you read certain books, like when I read um, Bystands 27, I sensed that, you know, you had a true genuine love of the comic book lore and the comic book mythology. Um, but then I've read other books where particularly when you get to like the last book in a series and you can tell when the author has phoned it in, like when they're like, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm sick of this series now. I'm just going to bash out one last book. And it, it definitely comes across. And that's why yeah, with by, by standard 27, I was able to, to tap into that, that love that you have and that enthusiasm came across on the page. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I think the more enthusiastic you are, the, the faster it goes. That's one of the great things. When, if you're not enthusiastic, books take forever to write. They are a, you know, it's a slog sometimes. It's a massive time-consuming thing. And that's why I kind of, like, I know certain people have to do certain things to, to earn money. And I, I mean, I know that that's obviously a motivation sometimes, but I just don't understand why someone would spend all that time writing a book if it was something that they were hating, that just sounds like torture to yeah. me. Like <laughs> to me, it should be fun. And if it's not fun, then it's not going to be fun for anyone else. Absolutely. With this, I am um, by 27. I had the idea and it was about two years before I got to a point where I could write it. And it was literally, I was waiting on an approval to come through. And I thought, while I'm waiting, why don't I start that book I planned on writing? And I was lucky the approval took a while. And I just, I, I was so pumped up for it. I could go through it. I thought it was sort of two years in the planning before I got there, really. It's like the waiting for that moment. But because that you really enjoy it, you, it, it goes fast and it's great. You're passionate the whole time. No, and that's, that's awesome. So... When it comes to Bystander 27, we're going to go back to that for a second. Uh, yep. How did you create, because there's quite a few different superheroes. So what was your process for creating all of them and giving them their own unique flavour? Um, this is one of those great questions that you really want a great answer to. Uh, and you might be disappointed. I... Obviously, I'm, I'm a superhero fan. I'm a huge superhero fan. I've been reading Marvel comics since pretty much I could read. And before then, my mum would read them to me, you know. Um, so I'm really steeped in that lore. Uh, and I've probably been creating superhero characters since I was that age. So, so it just kind of comes write... naturally to you. Yeah, when it came to writing this, I did... I had a few characters. I had Jade Shade was a name... I'd had hanging around for a little while and probably a few of the others were like that. Which sounds like but, a perfect, I mean, like Marvel villain, Jade Shade. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but what I, obviously you've, you've read it. I don't want to give too much away, but 
there's a structure, it's like a hierarchy of superheroes and supervillains. So there are the, the cosmic threat guys and there are the uh, sort of more uh, nationwide kind of characters and the, the super teams. And then you just get the local guys, the, the Spider-Mans and the Batmans, who really deal with stuff on their own patch. And so I structured it more like that. And I was trying to think, well, what kind of names work for those characters? And I think uh, there was a point at which I realised I needed a lot of characters. So I just wrote a list of words and names that I just just thought would work. So there's odd ones in like, I think Ghostbot was one and Shark Angel and other things like that. They were just... But, but they totally names. sound like those obscure Marvel heroes that, that you know, only the true fans yeah. know about. The ones yeah, that don't make it into the thing, movies. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the other thing was I wanted them to sound like they weren't all coming from one voice because the great thing about the Marvel Universe and the DC Universe is that these things are created by multiple voices. So the, the person who sort of created the John Constantine character isn't the same same kind of philosophy as creating the, the Riddler, you know? And you've got to have that sort of different, that wackiness and that street level seriousness to make it really feel like a whole universe rather than just one guy's read a comic. And that's, and that's kind of the great thing about it too that, that I found was that creating that hierarchy is such a fresh idea, but at the same time, you can look back on Marvel stories and say, oh, I can totally see that that actually works in that universe. Like you can actually see it in there. And so it kind of, it kind of changes your perception of those Marvel stories as well. Yeah. Well, it's one of the sort of weird contradictions of superhero universes, isn't it? That you've got these terrible bad guys, like somebody like the, Green Goblin who's fighting Spider-Man or really any of Spider-Man's villains, the Lizard or um, Craven the Hunter. And you think, well, why don't you just send the Fantastic Four up against them? Why don't you just send the Avengers? Because you would sort this out in like two minutes. Come yeah. on, this guy's ruining your life, but you're friends with Thor. So, but they have, all those things have to kind of fit in their own little boxes. They can't cross over too often. No. And um, I guess, you know, the other solution could be, okay, well, Spider-Man's in New York. So if the Green Goblin or Dr. Octopus moved to Vegas, they could wreak havoc because there's no superhero that resides in Vegas. So you, you can get world domination from there, or at least city domination. Because they, again, like the, the superheroes and the supervillains have the same sort of goals, like Superman's protecting the city and the yeah. villain is wanting to take over the city, but, you know, it's never global or, or, you know, intergalactic the way that the Avengers is. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and once you start messing with that hierarchy, I think it doesn't always work. Once you put Spider-Man in space, it's like, uh, this feels like a bit of a chore now because he doesn't belong. It's, it, it loses something. Yeah, so were, um, you not a, were you not a big fan of Spider-Man being with the Avengers? <laughs> Um, for different reasons, I, I kind of like Spider-Man not being a Avenger because I just think the Avengers at the moment and, and no criticism of any writers who, who've been working on it, but the Avengers lately is, who isn't an Avenger anymore? It's everybody, isn't it? Everybody's been an Avenger in the last 10 years. It's true. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure there was, there was a time when I could have named all the Avengers 
in order of being recruited, you know, and now it's like, well, uh, sort of, I hit that point of the West Coast Avengers and but it's like, and everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, it, it loses its um, prestige when everyone's a part of it. It does. It's, it's, I, I like that. Um, that Marvel universe where where um, the X Men are the mutants and they're really not involved with the Avengers. The Avengers are their own thing, and they're always Cap, and they're always Iron Man, they're always Thor, and they're always Hawkeye. And well, that 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 kind of works for me. It's it's funny that that you mentioned that because, and I don't know if it's the book that's inspired me to think of this, but um, I was thinking about X Men the other day, and I was thinking that really as a universe like their story kind of doesn't fit in and and i think it might have been inspired by the fact that you know this this big battle caused destruction and and um you know tragedy for for the main character of bystander 27 and i was thinking well i can kind of almost mm. understand why people don't like mutants in x-men by reading this but yeah. it got me to thinking about x-men and it got me to thinking about how they kind of don't fit in because while every other superhero has those superpowers that uh, are the same as the mutants, they're, they're adored in the other stories, but they're hated in the X-Men stories. So like as the same universe, they kind of are at odds with one another. Yeah. I think possibly it's because the X-Men, the premise of the X-Men is that they're almost there with a mission of peace. aren't they? They're trying to create this, this uh, uh, happy uh, society where mutants and humans coexist. But the comic books are about mutants at war with other mutants in incredibly destructive ways. So it doesn't really fit the message. And I think with the really the explosion of the X-Men in the 90s, when they got two titles and suddenly there were various spin-offs going on, there was so much war going on and so much time travel and all this. And you think, what about that mission of peace you guys were doing? Yeah, they kind of lost but, um, sight of their initial mission. Yeah, uh, particularly when Wolverine's sort of appearing in about nine titles a month, you know, guest yeah. starring everywhere. And, and I guess... Um, but I, I was just going to... I don't know if you uh, recall the Avengers uh, crossover with the Justice League where the Marvel and DC met. I vaguely and remember there, that. The writer kept beautiful. Kurt Busiek writing it picked up on the fact that DC characters they're popular in their world and Marvel's characters aren't so when Marvel's Avengers wind up in the DC universe it's like people like superheroes here you know they, they haven't got their J. Jonah Jameson calling them menaces all the time and that kind of thing I quite like that change the, the weird part is I think the movies have gone the other way where the DC movies have really been about characters being really distrusted. And you think, this, this isn't what your comics are about. What? Well, what? I guess... Where does all this come from? That same sounds to me, at least, like a business decision. Like, it's like, hey, Marvel's really popular. Let's emulate what they're doing rather than sticking to the source material. Maybe. I, I, I think um, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy possibly has a lot to answer for as well, because Nolan is an absolutely phenomenal filmmaker, but he knows how to make very dour superhero films. He and does, kind of and that's that's inspired a generation of of dark and gritty superhero movies. Yeah, exactly. And, you, and I guess you can't have dark and gritty when they love you. No, 
No, you can't have an adored Superman and dark and gritty at the same time. It just doesn't work, does it? No. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess uh, I was going to say something about um, about being at odds with X-Men and now it's gone. I can't remember what it was. Um, but I guess with with X-Men, I guess the, the parallels are, you know, dealing with issues of of racism and, and dealing with stuff like that. And I guess Joker, the new film um, was dealing Ooh. with this idea of, um, of, you know, when we ignore people as a society, you know, the results can be creating these super villains. Um, so, you know, I guess, I guess some good things came yeah. out of that, that dark and gritty um, version, but there's also some, some terrible ones, which I won't name, but there's some terrible ones that have come out of it too. Well, there's certainly a place. Any, any version of fiction, if done well, is always enjoyable, isn't it? That's that's the thing. I think there are many different ways that you can do stories. I guess it comes back to what we were saying before, that um, if you're just following a trend or if you're just trying to make something that's popular, it comes across you know, to to the, the audience. And, and really, that, that goes across anything um, any any medium or any genre or any anything because I mean I on social media and I copped quite a bit of flack for it but I don't care um, <laughs> I have said that a lot of I used to read um, YA novels um, even well beyond the point of me being yeah. the age of four reading them uh, but lately I've noticed and, and movies yeah. and things go a very similar way that it feels so mass produced and so like it's trying to fill a market that the the core of the story, the thing that brings people in isn't there anymore. And it's, yeah. it's kind of the same with Marvel movies. Um, I feel like that excitement's kind of gone because it's just the same thing being told over and over again. But if you actually go back to the series and things that people love like when you look at star wars the original trilogy if it was just the fact that it was set in space then it would have the same fan base as say star trek but you you can't which i actually i remember what i was going to say before talking about writing peace and x-men i was thinking about star trek and i was thinking well star trek's a perfect example that writing peace is very hard (laughs) because you need conflict and yeah writing peace can be very difficult. And I know that that was a source of um, a lot of frustration with people who worked with Gene Roddenberry because <laughs> it, was, it was trying to find that, that piece, but also to still have the story in there. Yeah, I think, uh, well, conflict is, is story, isn't it? That's, that's really the core of these things. But I think uh, one of the, sort of the good examples from comics would be Wonder Woman, where it was that wonderful uh, reboot of Wonder Woman in the late 80s by George Perez. And he really understood the idea that she was a diplomat for peace who occasionally got into... And I, these days she seems to have become kind of a sword-wielding Xena kind of character. It's like, you kind of forgotten that bit about her mission of peace somehow. That, that's all sort of important well, aside. And, and it's, it's a very easy, slippery slope to fall down, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because as we say, the core is conflict. Mm. Yeah, so that, that's, that's where your story always comes from, in some way. Yeah, and, and conflict is, is a lot easier to write with a war 
than it is um, with someone on a mission for peace. Yes, yes. Um, I think you were saying about following the trends uh, a couple of moments ago. Yes. Um, and I know what you mean. Because I, 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 it's always risky when you name properties, isn't it? Because you think, oh, I don't want to offend anyone. But let's put it this way. I, I enjoyed the Maze Runner films, but I did think, hmm, is this the Hunger Games again? Have they just looked at how... Yeah, and I completely, like I completely end. agree. Yeah, it was just, that's what I was saying before with that sort of YA set is it's like, okay, Twilight was popular. So now we're going to have, you know, the next five years of vampires until they're completely hollowed out. And then we're going to go on to the dystopian stories and they're all going to be some variation of the Hunger Games, but it just never, it never had that same um, authenticity that the original book had because it's just kind of like, well, I feel like I've read this before. And, and I guess that comes to that, base understanding that that people don't have or some people don't have and again i I mean i don't want to sound arrogant by saying this like you know i know so much that everyone else doesn't but that the core of storytelling is 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 a central theme and often with these stories that they're trying to emulate as i said um you know star wars was set in space so people are like oh let's make stories in space but that's not what makes star wars special um It, there's there's so much going on beneath the surface and it has particular core themes that resonate with people and you know the the use of asian mythology to to give the jedi you know that mystical credence and whatever else like it's that is the reason why people love it it's the stuff that goes on behind the 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 surface of it like that's why people love it and i think people miss the point with that and when they try to make when they try to emulate it it it, it loses its soul. I think you're right. I think um, I mean, Star Wars is basically a great Western in space, but what makes it unique is the force. That was just, Lucas just tapped into an idea there that brings so much to it. And it's, I was never a big fan of the Jedi aspect of it as a child. I thought, no, I want, I want that pan sci I want the gunslinging bit. But you realise it's the force is what makes it unique. That's what makes it such a clever, clever property. But the other thing about Star Wars is it's the original film, if you analyse it, it's so well written. It seems simple, but it has things that, I mean, I've taken away to this day and I still think that's so well done, which is characters always introduce themselves. The first thing they do when they come on screen is they tell you what their name is. So whatever age you are, you're already following the story. And so many films to this day still don't do that. Well, that's I guess that's a big thing that happens with Marvel now with their um, post-credit sequences and everything else, they'll come up with something and be like, I don't know who the hell that is. <laughs> like, am I meant to care that that yeah. person's standing there? Like, it's there's a lot of that kind of like, the big culture about speculation and, and fan theories and stuff like that, they leave some things a little bit too vague uh, and it, it does put a bit of a barrier up that some people can't well, access. I, I, I think that's deliberate though. Those, those teasers are... I would suggest they're not necessarily written with a film in mind. They're written with a, we're going to make a Thor film. Well, let's do something about a hammer. I think um, I remember the very first teaser being on the Iron Man film, isn't it? With um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury character turning up. And the writer of that was Brian Michael Bendis, his comic writer. He just wrote that one scene. 
And I don't think they really knew what they were going to do with it. He just, oh, I'm just going to say we're setting up the Avengers initiative. And it was basically, we'll stick that on the end. If people stay for the end of the film, it will promise something. Maybe we'll do it in five years' time. <sighs> Nobody had any great plan there. I think they, they handled it beautifully because it all feels seamless. But we can look at other franchises, and, and I'm going to circle back to Star Wars at this point and say, you know, the new trilogy, it has its, its pros and its cons, but it doesn't feel planned. No, no, it definitely doesn't. And actually, it's funny because the next episode I'm set to release of this podcast, um, as of when we're recording it, is uh, me talking about fixing the Star Wars sequel trilogy. And the biggest thing that we talk about is the fact that it seems like each of the movies are at odds with each other. And there's so much about fan yeah. theories and speculation and stuff like that. That's, there's certain points where they miss the story. And I mean, I don't hate the new movies, um, but they, they don't hold up the way that the originals do. But I think no, speaking about that. I, I th think, um, I was going to say, I think the first one, it's so obviously the Force Awakens is so obviously greatest hits, isn't it? But oh, very, it's very brilliant because so. it's a great, everybody likes a greatest album. That's fantastic. Um, and even though you kind of can recognise all the scenes, they've just been shuffled a bit. But it's it's really well done. And I loved all the new characters in that film. I thought, you've, you've done that incredible trick of bringing in completely new characters. And I'm going, yeah, I like these guys as much as the originals. Um, but the second one just it went on a very strange path. And the third, it kind of wrote itself into a corner. So I think the third film was sort of there going... How, how we can have to course correct, otherwise we're gonna just not have anywhere left to go. Yeah, well, and see, I mean, um, I'm I'm kind of, I'm almost the opposite of that. That I actually I liked the second one because it was a little bit different. Um, but I, I I agree with that. It was different, but I I think it was just writing itself into a corner. It did, and it, I will say that it felt like a final chapter rather than mm. the middle. Um, but one thing I will say Fair is I, I think, to be honest, if they would have fixed the third one, I would say that they should have like embraced the difference and just gone with it. Because when they, when you spend the first half hour to an hour retconning the previous movie, it's, it just seems a little bit silly. But um, I guess this is leading into something that I was going to talk about too, which was um, one of the big faults that I think doesn't happen so much in books but it does happen with with movies uh, and i think marvel has a lot to answer for um with this is this notion that when you set up a story it needs to set up like five other stories yeah when you know so they'll they'll come up with one new movie like for example the uh what was it? The universal movie monster universal, the dark universe or whatever they called yeah. it. Like they, they created that mummy movie and it was meant to set off like six other different movies. And I'm like, well, but maybe you should just focus on telling one good story first. Cause as we say, the original star Wars movie is a self-contained story. And you know, that was probably by design because it's like, well, if this fails, we want it to be one sort of story. We, you know, don't want to necessarily um, leave it open, but yeah, it's it's just seems odd to me that people want to try and create an expanded universe that's the same as say like Star Wars, but it's like, well, okay, but you're releasing this now. Star Wars has been around for like forty years, so or yeah. more than forty years. So 
that's something that I think people need to stop doing because it's not a good idea to try and build like seven different stories into your one debut this, story. This is where the um, DC films have struggled a bit because they, they've tried to emulate the Marvel films too quickly. They're like, oh, hang on, they've managed to get their Avengers together in however many films. We've got to do it in two. We've got to have our team there. I think this, this, I feel like I'm not yet getting the story. Come on, guys. Yeah, it, it's rushing um, it, really. That's, that's kind of yeah. all it's doing, yeah. Whereas the Marvel films, if you look at them, they are pretty nicely separate from one another, and then they just come together with these Avengers or Captain America Civil Wars. But mostly they're separate with them sort of nodding a wink to each other. Well, but I mean, didn't, didn't most of the heroes have two movies under their belts before they went to the original Avengers movie? I think they did, yeah. I think so it's like, too. yeah, it's, it's, it's that setting it up so that you actually care about the characters coming together, whereas with the DC stuff, it's like, hey, here's the Justice League and here's people who haven't even had one movie yet. And it's like, well, yeah. why do I care? <laughs> I think the point that uh, there's that point in the Batman versus Superman films where you get the, the glimpse of the flash randomly and then Batman seems to have a dream which appears to be a five-minute trailer for another film. You're like, what, what am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> that looked good. Can we see that? <laughs> and I think, I think I guess it's, um, it's that corporate interference sometimes. I mean, I, I'm not in the business, so I mean, I can't say for sure, but it definitely feels like corporate interference rather than like smothering that creativity and actually wanting to tell a story. I think so, yeah. And uh, it, it's easy to lose your focus. If you've got too many voices, um, it's easy to try to appease everyone and wind up with something that doesn't really work for anyone. Which um, I guess comes yeah. back to that original theme that we had been discussing that, you know, you need to believe in the work that you're doing and you need to, to care about it probably more than anyone else yeah. um, in order for it to feel authentic and, and for it to be genuine it did so so this is the point where i can turn things around and say you've read bystander 27 did the story feel authentic did you believe in Hayes? well it, it did and that's and that's what i said it, it's it not only came across as being written by someone who has a genuine love um for superhero lore and superhero superhero mythology but it, it's also opened up so many questions for me that because when it comes to any kind of fictional property, you, there's a level of suspension of disbelief. Like if you look at, you know, musicals, you have to have a suspension of disbelief that people don't just burst out into song and music doesn't just appear out of nowhere. You know, they, they, same they, they with, idea. yeah. And there's the same they, with the rules of, all the time here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same with the rules for, for comic books. Like there are certain things that we just, accept and we don't even think about it on a conscious level because we know that in superhero movies that's just kind of how it works but this brought a lot of that to the surface and said well what if this was in a real world like how would you navigate these different hierarchies and these different expectations of different superheroes so it definitely came across as authentic and it definitely came across as something that you genuinely loved writing it it didn't oh, yeah. it didn't feel like a chore as you would say it felt like someone yeah. wrote this that genuinely loved it. Wait till you read the disappointing um, third book in the series that that'll be the point where that he's, yeah. he's lost. So well no because normally normally the disappointing book is is say like number 
Oh, but, I don't know. It's when they get up into above 10 and you're like, why didn't you just finish this at book five or something? Like, why, why have you like hashed it out for so long that now this last one is just terrible? And also begs the question of why am I still reading it? Like, why didn't I yeah. stop at book five? <laughs> I, I was talking to one of my friends about this, that there are certain musical artists that you stick with through thick and thin. And there's a point at which you think, I played your last two albums once. Come on, why am I still putting myself through this? Yeah, <laughs> uh, they're, well, they're awful. Similar. I, I must. I have. Uh, I have to navigate this conversation a little bit for contractual reasons. But I've written serial fiction. I've written series of novels, um, and I, I wrote nineteen novels in a series called Outlanders, um, under a pen name. Um, and I was guiding that, and I did sort of. I hit about book seventeen. And I was still enjoying it, but that was the point where I thought, I'm just running out of ways to kill bad guys, because I always had this rule of the bad guy dies at the end of the book. I didn't want to be bringing back people. I wanted all of these books to be really dramatic endings. And I thought, I, I haven't got any more ways to kill people. I'm going to have to resign from this series. Um, and that was the point where I thought, I, I, I maybe have lost interest a little bit. I think the last two books were fine because I did a little bit of fun with time travel and stuff and I, I, I reinvigorated myself on it but yeah I, I, I could feel that point where I needed to step away and that was around about the time I came up with the plot for Bystander actually. Um, well, I, I guess that's the thing though that you, you quit while you were ahead you're not just like oh all right well you know I'll keep going for another 10 books and and you know I'll, I'll yeah. hash them out and it'll be terrible for everyone involved you, you kind of gave up when you, you saw the writing on the wall I guess and and yeah. you just sort of said okay well this is enough <laughs> that's but, I mean that's pretty impressive even in, in and of itself to get to book 17 before you start running out of thing uh, running out of steam <laughs> I think I think I hit about book 15 and I started writing down really mad plot ideas so one was like the heroes versus Oscar Wilde, which became a book, and the heroes versus, oh man, I think I did a tribute to Jack Kirby as one of them and things. And uh, yeah, these are, these are proper science fiction books. We're all kind of where where my starting point is and what the book ends up being is is often very different to how I've just described it. But they were all very simple kind of themes I wanted to explore. Well. I look forward to reading the first seven um, Bystander 27 books and then maybe, you know, trudging through the next seven. Um, (laughs) Once you've got up to Bystander 38, you'll be like, oh, really? How many more Bystanders are there? Come on. (laughs) Bystander 723. (laughs) Surprisingly a good book after so many bad ones. (laughs) That's the triumphant comeback. Um, (laughs) Well, I think we might leave it there. Um, so before we go, where can people find you? Where can they find me? Nowhere. I don't exist um, on any kind of social media or anything else. So I am really elusive. Um, so so the, only, the only way to find me is go to the, I'd say go to the publisher, which is Angry Robot. Um, and I'm actually going to grab the book as we speak. And I'm going to tell you if they put their website on here somewhere. I think they're Angry uh, I feel Robot. like they do. Com. Um, so probably contact me through them would be yep, the best through part. angryrobot.com and or hey through you through this podcast i've completely i've completely dropped you in it i'm sorry yeah i, I can for i can forward all the emails to you so that's all good i'll just be like attention rick and i'll be like there you go <laughs> done 
Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been such a great discussion and I've, I've loved talking about comic books, video games and, and everything in between. It's, as I said, you, you do everything that I love, <laughs> which, which kind of makes it perfect for a conversation. Yeah, it's, it's been an absolute joy talking to you.